Welcome to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in. We pray that the following message will help you connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and others. If you have your Bibles with you, open them to the book of Jeremiah chapter 8. Jeremiah 8. We'll begin with verse 18 of Jeremiah 8. And we will read through the first verse of Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah 8, 18 through 9 verse 1. Jeremiah chapter 8 verse 18. Jeremiah says, You who are my comforter in sorrow, my heart is faint within me. Listen to the cry of my people from a land far away. Is not the Lord in Zion? Is her king no longer there? Why have they aroused my anger with their images, with their worthless foreign idols? And the people said, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. And Jeremiah says, since my people are crushed, I am crushed. I mourn and horror grips me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? And the unspoken answer to that que- those two questions is, yes, there is a balm in Gilead. There is a physician there. And Jeremiah goes on, why then is there no healing for the wound of my people? Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night for the slain of my people. Do you have a hard time reading Jeremiah? Man, he's tough. He doesn't write in chronological order. That makes him kind of hard to read. But he's so, it's so hard to read because it's so full of bad news. It was the fall, fall of the year. How many of you, for how many of you is fall your favorite season of the year? Raise your hand. Yeah. How many of you is winter your, your favorite season? Yeah. Spring, raise your hand, spring. And summer, summer, yeah, yeah, all right. Well, it was fall of the year for Jeremiah in the Middle East. The year was somewhere around um, 586 B.C. Normally, at fall of the year in the Middle East, their cupboards would be full, full from the summer's harvest, Normally, in the fall of the year, the people were confident that they were ready for the soon-coming winter. Normally. But not this year. Not in 586 B.C. Because that year, the cupboards were empty. In fact, the cupboards were gone. They were gone, destroyed. The gardens were plowed over and burned before anything could be harvested from them. Nothing left but scorched earth. Even the people, most of the people were gone. 
That year, the cupboards were empty. That year, nobody was ready for winter. You see, although this chapter is chapter 8, it, it comes early in Jeremiah's book, chapter 8, out of 52 chapters. Jeremiah is the longest book of the Old Testament in terms of verses. And uh, chapter 8, though it comes early in the chapters of Jeremiah, it describes a late time, a late period in the history of the people of Judah, the people of Israel during the lifetime of Jeremiah. Because by the time you get to the middle part of chapter 8, the people have already been carried away 800 miles to the east as captives in Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar had come into Jerusalem. Uh, he'd been there for 30, about almost 30 years. The first time he came, he just settled there and he captured some of the people and took them to Babylon. And he came back 10 years later and he captured more of the people and he carried them to Babylon. And he came back 10 years later. This time he laid siege to the city of Jerusalem for two years, starved the people out. And at the end of two years, he came into Jerusalem and literally destroyed the city. Carried away most of the rest of the people to Babylon. And they are in Babylon at the time Jeremiah writes uh, much of what is in the latter part of chapter 8 and also into chapter 9. We know this because verse 19 says, Listen to the cry of my people from a land far away. They were a long way from home with no hope of going home. You know, I've been away from home a few times. Sometimes it's on a vacation. Don't you love vacations? You know, we're only, uh, we're only just bar barely in the fall. Some of you said this week, boy, I need another vacation. Did you say that? Some of you did. Yeah, I know you did. Need another vacation. I've been away from home for a while. But even at the end of a long vacation, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting home. I can't imagine being carried away as captives to a land far away with uh, no hope of coming home. But being far away from home was not the worst of their problems. Not only were they far away from home, but they were far away from God. And more troubling than being far away from God was the fact that they were totally unaware of how far away from God they had gone. Think about that. They're far away from home. That's bad. But worse than being far away from home, they're far away from God. That is really bad. But they don't know how far away from God they are. In fact, they think they're close to God. In verse 6, God says, I have listened attentively, but they do not say what is right. None of them are willing to repent of their weakness. Instead, they say, what have we done? What have I done? They didn't think they were in the wrong. Each pursues his own course, their own course, like a horse charging into battle. Verse 7, even the stork 
in the sky knows her appointed seasons, and the dove, the swift, and the thrush observe the time of their migration. But my people, my people don't even know the requirements of the Lord, he says. He says, how can you say, verse 8, how can you say, and then he quotes them, we are wise because we have the law of the Lord. We're people of the book. God says, how can you say that when actually the lying pen, the lying pen of the scribes has handled my word falsely? You see, it's one thing to be far away from God, but being unaware of one's distance from God is unsettling because how can you turn back to God if you don't think you're away from Him? How can we know to go to the doctor if we don't realize how sick we are? And that was the case for the people of Judah in 586. It was the fall of 586, and the cupboards were empty, the cupboards were gone, the the gardens were scorched, and the people were 800 miles away from home, and they were even more miles away from God, and they didn't even realize it. And so at this grim time, a conversation takes place. That's the reason for the title of this sermon, The Conversation Over an Ended Summer. More specifically, it's a conversation over... A closed window of opportunity. It's a conversation that includes God. God speaks a little bit. Jeremiah speaks a little bit. And the people speak a little bit. It's a three-way conversation. Jeremiah begins the conversation in verse 18. He says in verse 18, you, and he's talking to God. Jeremiah begins by talking with God. This is a huge difference between Jeremiah on one hand and the people on the other. You are my comforter in sorrow. My my heart is faint within me, Jeremiah says. Jeremiah says, you, Lord, are my comfort. You're my only hope. And boy, did Jeremiah need some hope. I mentioned two weeks ago that he preached 50 years and nobody ever came forward. There was no point in having any uh, cushioned altar area in Jeremiah's worship services. Nobody ever came. That's the only thing they would have been good for is dusting and vacuuming. Because nobody ever came. The people weren't a comfort to him. So he looked up and he said, Lord, you, you are my comfort My heart is fainting within me. I've got a cardiac problem. And then the people talked. Actually, it's God quoting the people as they talk. And what are the people saying? They're saying, Lord, you've abandoned us. Verse 19. God says, listen to the cry of my people from a land far away. And then here's, here's what the people were saying. Is, not, is the Lord not in Zion? Zion is the mountain on which Jerusalem was built. Is the Lord not in Zion, he says, they say? Is her king no longer there? Where's God? This is what they were saying. God, you've abandoned us. That's a very interesting thing because... Uh, You know, 
when, when we human beings are caught doing something wrong, whether we realize we're wrong or not, the thing that we are most inclined to do is not take ownership of it, but rather to blame somebody else for it. For Jeremiah's day, the people were blaming somebody else for it. In this case, man, they had a lot of audacity. They're blaming God. God, we're in Babylon. You let those folks tear down the wall. You let those folks tear, destroy the temple. We didn't think you'd ever do that. You let them take us all the way over here to Babylon. Now, God, you need to wake up. But they took God for granted, really. God had not abandoned them. But they thought he had abandoned them. And so they had their suitcases with them. This text doesn't tell us this, but if you, if you were to fast forward all the way to Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah uh, it writes a letter to the people in Babylon. And he writes to them, and, and they're, they're sitting there in Babylonian captivity. They haven't been there long, and they refuse to unpack their suitcases because they're thinking, God is not going to leave us here. He may have left us in Jerusalem. He abandoned us there, but he's going to take us home. And Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 29, he says, no, you, you probably ought to just go ahead and unpack your bags. Because you're going to be there a while. Some of you are going to die there. Some of you will be able to return home, but you'll be old, so old that somebody's going to have to carry you. You will not be able to walk of your own accord. You see, we like to blame other people. We like to blame them over there. We like to blame them on the other side. We like to find the folks who disagree with us and blame them. Now, in our day, there are not many people who are willing to blame God. I've noticed that. People are very, even people who feel very hurt by God, they're, they're very reluctant to blame God because we're afraid of God. I mean, he's God. And so what we'll do is blame somebody else. I mean, we won't say, oh, I blame you for my predicament, but we will lash out at other people. But here in this passage, in verse 19, the first part of verse 19, they said, Lord, are you not here? Are you not in Zion? Is her king no longer there? And then in the last half of verse 19, God speaks. So you've heard Jeremiah speak. Then you've heard the people speak. And now God speaks. And here's what God says. Look at what you've been doing. The latter part of verse 19. Why have my people aroused my anger with their images with their worthless foreign idols. Now they were doing this for God. From God's perspective, it was obviously sinful, but they couldn't see it. And we look back at those folks, we read that and we say, how, how dumb those folks were. Man, they were so dumb. Not realizing that we are right in there with them. Our idols are just a little more smart, a little more deceitful, a little more conniving. We don't carve them out of 
gold or wood or concrete, but they're there. Our idols are, are often, they don't take the shape of anything. They're philosophies. They are viewpoints. They are opinions. And we hold to them more closely, more tightly than we hold on to Jesus. Look at what you're doing. God points the finger back at the people. Why have you aroused my anger? And then it comes back to the people speaking again. Verse 21. Or verse, verse 20, excuse me. Verse 20, the people speak again. The harvest is past. The summer is ended. The summer is over. And look at us. We're not saved. We're not rescued. Things are not good. That's what they said, along with, God, you've abandoned us. But here's what they should have said. They should have said, Lord, we have abandoned you. And so now, Lord, we return to you. We're not so, we're not so uh, consumed with returning home. What's more important is that we return to you. But again, that's not what they were saying. Because you see, what people should do and what people actually do are often, too often, two different things. And you know why? Because God's people are so stubborn. So we see what Jeremiah said, and then we see what God said, and then we see what the people said, and then we see what God said again, and then we see what the people should have said, but what they said instead. And then finally, we see what Jeremiah felt. Jeremiah was uh, not an introvert. You ever see these folks who really have a good poker face? You know what a poker face is. It's, it's a face that they could play poker and you could look at them and you, just by looking at their face, you could not tell what kind of hand they had. If they have a great, a great hand, they have a look on their face, the same look on their face if they have the worst hand in the world. Poker face. Jeremiah would never have won a game of poker because he couldn't hide his emotions. And so he says in Jeremiah verse, chapter 9, verse 1, he says, Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears so that I could weep day and night for the slain of my people. What was Jeremiah saying to us? He was saying, I have cried and cried and cried until I have run out of tears to cry. Have you ever met someone who can't cry tears? Miss Billy Joyner is our oldest member. She's 95, 96, something like that. She was here earlier in the first service. Her children take time about. They alternate bringing her. And she's one of the best people I've ever met. And she cries a lot. Older people cry a lot. But did you know this? It's been years since she has been able to cry real tears. Miss Billy, for health reasons, has lost the capacity to cry tears. I know that because I, I visit her frequently and she'd say, you know, I've, I've watched the news. I've seen, I'm so worried about my family. I've cried and cried. She says, I, but I. I can't cry tears anymore. 
Jeremiah says, I have cried until I can no longer cry tears. And now he's praying in a figurative way. He's praying that God would turn his head into a spring of water to a well, uh, to a fountain, so that he could cry day and night for the slain of his people. He looks at the distant horizon, but there is no light at the end of the tunnel that Jeremiah sees. There's no hope. And the people can see that something's wrong, but they can't see that they're the reason for what is wrong. When I was a younger preacher, I used to... uh, And I wasn't the only one, but I used to preach an evangelistic sermon based upon Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 20. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. And the reason I'd use that verse is because where I grew up, all the churches had moved their fall revivals to summer. They'd moved their fall revivals to summer. So there was no such thing as fall revivals. All revivals were summer revivals, and they moved them to summer because school kept... uh, starting earlier and earlier and earlier. So you'd have summer revivals. And so that would be in those churches in North Georgia, that was the primary time back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s when people got saved. It was very unusual, I don't know why, for someone to get saved on a Sunday morning or any other time. Revival was the time to be saved. And so we'd get through the revivals and there would be certain people, certain lost people who we knew had attended the revivals, but they had not come forward and received Christ as their savior. And so we went through the whole summer of revivals and those certain few, of course, there were some who did come and receive Christ and they were saved and then baptized, but there were a few, we got to the end of summer and we said, the harvest is past, the summer is ended and we are not saved. It made for a really good evangelistic sermon, except for one, one teeny tiny problem. You know what the problem was? Jeremiah did not make that statement to lost people. <laughs> not lost in the sense of salvation sense. He, he wrote that verse The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we're not saved. He didn't write that to lost people. He wrote that to God's people. God's people. To whom is God speaking? I said this last week, I'll say it again. When God speaks... The strong majority of the time, he's not saying anything to lost people except for, I love you and I want to save you. But for the vast majority of the time when God speaks, he's not speaking to lost people, he's speaking to his people. And I wish I could say that we today, God's people today, are, are better than God's people were in Jeremiah's day. I wish I could say that God is not trying to have just as tragic a conversation with us today as he had with them, but he is. 
But you see, we, we don't believe we're wrong. We believe we're right. God's people were, and God's people are, the ones with whom He's having this tragic conversation. But God's people have changed very little since Jeremiah's time. Let's pray. Lord, I really don't know what it will take. I don't. I don't know what it will take for us, your people, for us to see what really is going on. I don't know what it's going to take for us to hear you say, don't you see what you're doing? I'm sure Jeremiah had this conversation with you 2,500 or so years ago. What's it going to take? And he didn't have an answer either. But it scares me, Lord. Because I don't want to have happened to us what happened to them. Lord, help us open our eyes and see the truth. In Jesus' name, amen.